Welcome to Pop Psych 101, where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts, break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape. We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad here with my co-host, Dr. Haley Roberts. It's me. Hello. Hello, Haley. We're back again. We are still. Still here. (laughs) And we have a great show on tap for everyone. We're going to be talking about Swan Song, which is a a really interesting, I guess, sci-fi movie on Apple TV. And so we will get into that right after the break. But this movie, watching it, reminded me of another recent sort of like viral story. And I had to ask you... If number one, if you've heard the story, and number okay. two, to kind of like uh, react to it with me, because I think it's like an analogy of what we're going to be doing on the episode today. Okay. Okay. Hit me. A couple of weeks ago, and now it might be months ago for whenever people are listening to this, there was like a viral story, I don't know, it was Twitter or something, about how NASA had hired some theologians to mm. study or like theorize what society's reaction to the discovery of alien life would be. Okay. So people took this story as, oh my gosh, maybe NASA has found alien life and (laughs) they're just sort of keeping it secret and and Uh trying to kind of figure out a way to tell everyone, like break it to us (laughs) in a way that's going to not destroy our society. Yeah. Unfortunately, the story was somewhat false, (laughs) but it got to the point. It was so, I guess, viral that the Associated Press and NASA had to respond to it, which is hilarious. (laughs) And it is partially true. So NASA did, oddly enough, uh, provide some funding in 2015 to the Center of Theological Inquiry in Princeton, New Jersey, of all places, okay. for a program to study the potential societal impact of finding life outside of Earth. So okay. they have sort of done what this viral story suggested, but uh-huh. it's just not something that's happening right now. Yeah. So, Haley, my question to you is how would you react, obviously, if NASA just decided to drop on their Twitter page, hey, by the way, we found some alien life. And I guess number two, what if you have any thoughts about like this sort of societal reaction, mm-hmm. I'd be curious to get those thoughts as well. Yeah, I do have thoughts about them. My personal reaction is, have we not seen the Nimitz video that was released by the government? a year Mm. or so ago it was like i think it was in 2020 so it was when people were still freaked out about covid and murder hornets but videos were released from the government a not a classified program but a non-registered program or something like that that had videos of pilots recording these what they described as tic-tac-shaped flying objects that were moving way too fast and in a direction that didn't make sense. Tom DeLong from Blink-182 has this school or organization of research into alien life, and he believes that these videos were 
actually aliens and I've seen it and I'm like, okay, cool. Like could be aliens. However, it could also be other countries just being way ahead of us in science that they haven't told us about. So my reaction is like, I don't know that I would freak out that much if somebody was like, by the way, those are real and it's aliens. I'd be like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Like I fine. So the implication being that like there enough groundwork has been laid for us to get from all of these kind of weird videos that exist to like, Yes, confirmation. Those videos were actually something. We just maybe still don't know exactly who or what, right? Yeah, and I also think it's horribly egotistical to think that we are the only life forms in the entire universe. Like, that feels insane to me. Totally. So I think that's my general answer with the information that I currently have. With the information that could possibly be out there, I think my answer for both how I would react and how I think society would react boils down to well it depends right like if they're like oh by the way aliens are these horrific terrifying slimy big tooth (laughs) things that are way more advanced than we are and can murder us in seconds we're all probably going to be pretty scared but if it's like a natural reaction yeah if they're non-viral microbes who don't have thought we'll be like okay Sure. Cool. (laughs) Good to know. And I feel like that's the most likely first thing, right? Is like, oh, we found some bacteria on Neptune. And I guess that qualifies as an alien, which would be a a kind of a big letdown, wouldn't it? Um, Maybe yes and no. I don't know. Yeah. I I don't know if it would be a letdown, but I think... Yes, it's going to be the first thing we find because we've explored, are there large human-sized creatures on the planets that we can reach? And the answer is immediately already know so the likelihood right. of it what uh, what we can reach being something smaller than that is pretty high however i don't think that that means that humanoid or mammaloid type creatures don't exist in planets that we don't know exist yet mm. but also there's stuff in yeah. the ocean that we haven't discovered like and that's on our oh, planet totally yeah and we're, we're shocked and, and when we discover that like certain types of life is capable of living like in the deepest recesses of volcanoes and things uh-huh. like that, right? So yeah. it's not that much of a stretch. No. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting topic to me. I, I personally would be excited if we discovered any form of alien life. I have some fears about how society would react, but society is a fickle thing. So it yeah. would be a wide spectrum, I'm sure. I mean, these days, society as a whole doesn't react well to anything. So it's probably not going to react well to aliens. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, yeah. So, and, and, but right. And that's, that's the whole thing is we're dealing with all this uncertainty and all we can do is sort of hypothesize around how some of this stuff would play out. And that's what we're going to do on the rest of today's episode, because we're talking about technology that doesn't quite exist yet and technology that would challenge people's experience of grief and loss and mental health in a way that we can only theorize right yeah yeah so let's take a quick break and then we will get into all of that fun stuff so stick around for swan song
Hey everyone, Ryan here. No ad this week, but a quick request. We would love to know where you follow us. So if you wouldn't mind taking 10 seconds while you're listening to today's episode, reach out to us on your social media of choice. Say hi, say what's up, request an episode topic. We would love to hear from you. And now back to the episode. Pop Psych 101 discusses mental health as it is portrayed in pop culture media. And because of this, we often cover sensitive topics that can be triggering for some listeners. We also delve into the characters and plots of these stories, and therefore, spoilers abound. So please, use your discretion as you listen to the rest of the episode. Swan Song is a 2021 American science fiction drama film written and directed by Benjamin Cleary and starring Mahershala Ali, Naomi Harris, Aquafina, Glenn Close, and Adam Beach. It is currently streaming on Apple TV. Set in the near future, Mahershala Ali plays Cameron Turner, uh, is a husband and father who is diagnosed with a terminal illness but is given a new and unique solution to replace himself with a clone. So first of all, I have to say, Haley, I love these sort of like near future science fiction movies where things feel Possible. like obviously futuristic, but also mm-hmm. almost within reach. Uh-huh. You know, like all the stuff that's quote unquote futuristic, like the contacts that are cameras and the driverless cars and mm-hmm. even frankly, cloning are all things that feel like they're not that far away. And that's kind of cool. I just kind of get excited. Yeah, for that no, stuff. I think some things more than others. Like I think the cloning piece is probably the furthest off because right. we've tried it and we're just not very good at it on a small scale. So I think the complexity of human anatomy will be a while until we can figure that out yeah and and that's probably for the best because as you and i discussed with the philosophical response to alien life (laughs) uh, we probably have some work to do before we're ready for this possibility on a both the individual or societal scale or just sort of how we wrestle with this possibility that you could be in the same room with a exact replica of yourself yeah you know in this case for cameron you know, minus the terminal illness that he is unfortunately diagnosed with. Yeah. Well, and it all kind of boils down to this question of what makes humanity or what makes a person the person that they are. And yes, is it the DNA? Is it the history? Is it the experience? Or is it something greater? And I think that this movie really asks that in a really poignant way, because there are times where I'm like, no, he's he's him. And then there's other times where I'm like, but also clearly he can't be him, can he? And I don't know. Right. And we can't know, I guess. Uh, I mean, maybe there, there might come a time in which we can clone a person and then ask them all these questions. But I think we're also sort of talking about really big picture stuff like, does personality come purely from memory? Does it come from behavioral learning? All these sorts of things that, I mean, we can sort of break down piece by piece. But, you know, it, Initially, you know, you raise this sort of question of what makes a person human, question of self. Are you familiar with the thought experiment? I think it's the the ship thesis or the, something like that. Is this the thing that came up in WandaVision? I think so. I yeah, don't remember it. It's so funny. It. We were just talking about that. Yeah. Well, grief. Okay. Go back and listen to our episode on WandaVision. There you go. So Yeah, remind me. So yeah, the thought puzzle is basically like if there was a ship in a museum mm-hmm. 
and uh, Thief in the Night was able to take away a piece of the ship, but replace it with like a identical piece. And over time, was just able to keep doing this until he had the whole ship out of the museum mm -hmm. and a replica was left. Mm -hmm. At what point would you say he had stolen the ship? At what point would you say the ship was gone? I would say immediately. Sure. But I think that if the piece that he replaced it with had also been through the same experiences that the original ship had been through. Okay, so talking about like the ship experience. So it's it yes. almost feels easier when you say like it takes a piece away and is replaced with a piece right because then there feels like there's yes. this comparison of like the new piece versus the older pieces but mm -hmm. yep in this story it's not a piece he is fully That's recreated true. and I always say to my patients so in the work that I do we don't spend a lot of time trying to figure out the why of your feelings Mm -hmm. We figure out like, okay, you feel this way. How do you want to move forward in a valued way, knowing that that is how you feel? And what I always say to my patients is, I know exactly why you feel the way that you feel. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, mm. biology, psychology, and sociology. That's why. Yep. And in this movie, the way that they represented it, he has the same biology and the exact same biology, which means the way that Cameron's biology has changed throughout his life as his emotional experiences have been experienced and as his surroundings and environmental experiences have been experienced, his biology has changed in response. And then his psychology has changed in response. And then the way that he interacts with society and environment has changed in response. And supposedly this new character is created with all of those pieces in the same form. And so I'm like, so then what makes him any different? Right. And so in that way, it's like, well, again, at what point, what piece needs to be missing in order for the ship to be gone? And that's kind of what I was asking is like, mm -hmm. what makes a person a person? What makes this clone not Cameron? Yeah. And I guess it, it to me, it feels like the piece that decides to create the clone. Because that is the piece that is experiencing grief and is experiencing sort of finality, right? The knowledge that he has this terminal illness and is going to die. Like that at no point in the movie is questioned. Glenn Close has to tell him over and over and over again. Dr. Scott, mm -hmm. uh, played by Glenn Close, tells him over and over and over again, you are going to die. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, also evidenced by, you know, some of the seizures and symptoms that we see him experiencing mm -hmm. that it feels very clear and certain that he's going to die so he has had to be the version of himself that had to make this decision and i think that's the piece that's so interesting to me that the clone did not have to experience but he did because if he's created from that yeah, time yeah, he I does guess. have that experience that memory in him. now the difference is i know from, from the point of him waking up yeah yeah then no, they right. no longer I, I, are I, the same i misstated that <laughs> right because yeah. i know but it just it just feels like there's and and maybe that's what we're sort of trying to sort of suss out here is that cameron obviously so that maybe for our purposes of the podcast we'll talk about the clone as jack since that's the name that they give him um, until he becomes fully cameron cameron obviously is making this decision from his perspective like for his wife and his son mm -hmm. and 
what we come to find out is also the, the unborn child yeah. that because of everything his wife has been through and because of everything they're currently going through, he makes this decision to replace himself with himself. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think there's there's sort of this question given of like, what about this decision is Cameron being selfish? And what about this is Cameron being, I don't know, generous or sort of more considerate, yeah. right? And it feels like it's sort of very entangled. Very entangled. I think it's the one of the main yeah. questions in this. And where it gets even more complicated is that at some point, so after Jack completely forgets that this ever happened. And so the thing that we struggle with is is deceit, right? And sure. Yeah. once he forgets all of that happened, he's no longer a participant in the deceit. And because the person who was the participant in the deceit is gone and that information has died, it's kind of as though the deceit never actually happened as far as everybody in the world, except for Cruella DeVille is (laughs) except for Glenn Close. (laughs) And so I'm kind of like, it kind of negates the, the ethical concern once he's dead and it's happened. Mm. I think that the process of deciding that has a lot of ethical. Once the ship is fully replaced. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In a way that it's like what, you don't know can't hurt you. And in Mm. this situation, they've set it up to be like, and nobody will ever know because there's no way for them to know. Now that's not entirely true because like, let's say this company's notes could get leaked and everybody finds out. A lot of of logistical concerns. Yeah, Yeah. Wouldn't want to be a company you would want hacked. Yeah. Yeah, certainly not. But even then the wife Poppy would come to Jack who is then Cameron and be like, you're a clone. And he'll be like, I swear I'm not though. Like, I don't know what yeah. you're talking about. And I'm not right. lying yeah. to you. I'm yeah. really not because in his experience, he's right. not. And so mm-hmm. he can't be held responsible for that deceit. Yeah. Gosh, there's, there's so <laughs> much in this question of the value of the memory as experience. Cause I think that's the distinction that in my head I was making was yeah, okay, you can you can give this person the memory of, let's say, parenting, right? Because that felt like a very unique distinction that they showed. And it feels like we're just totally kind of jumping around in the plot at this mm-hmm. point. So spoilers, obviously, fulfilled. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they show this part where, um, okay, so it's Jack as Cameron is now with the family because Cameron is really struggling with his his illness he's had this crazy fainting fainting episode um, or seizure and jack is sort of having some issues um, at the dinner table and the son is playing his nintendo switch and they're trying to get him to turn it off and jack kind of has this snapping moment where he rips the switch out of his son's hands and throws against the wall and then we see cameron sort of wake up from his whatever sort of episode he was having back at the facility So that, to me, felt like, even if you have the memory of parenting, like there's just, I don't know, that was a part that I was really struggling with, the sort of conception of the sort of like cognitive memory versus the sort of, I don't know, is there, are are there different kinds of memory and can you really copy those? That was just the sort of like conception that I was really struggling with because I could see if, you know, it's like, okay, yes, this person knows they have a son and knows that quote-unquote, they have raised this son. But it feels like the difference between someone 
knowing how to do addition mm -hmm. and then presenting them with like complex algebra and then just being like, yeah, just do the thing you already know how to do. Like, you know how to do this. You've done it. Just go ahead and do the more complex version of it. Sure. But the way that you're describing it is as though a robot of Cameron was created mm. and then Cameron gave him the information yeah, of his point. life. What they have set right. in this movie is this person's whole being, Jack's whole being, has experienced and been created of the dna of having done all those things so right so you would have all of those different yeah. types of memory the muscle memory all those things mm -hmm. sure yeah and also yeah. like at the time i was like oh no he's glitching however something's wrong with the clone uh -huh, yeah. yeah however <laughs> yeah. i can't tell you the number of patients who have come into therapy and been like i snapped at my child in a way that i would never have thought I would do. Mm. And, okay, that's a really fair point. Yeah. And as you were speaking about it, I was like, that was actually a really good kind of Hollywood move. And I don't know if this is what they intended, but also kind of showing that because of where we're looking, right, we know he's the duplicate. So we go like, oh, oh he's glitching. But yeah. if you don't know that he's the duplicate, you go like, whoa, dude, you know like, better oh, than man, that. What's wrong with Cameron? Yeah. He must be having a bad day. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, you know what, man? Like, We've all snapped at our kids once in a while. Like, just don't, oh, sure. you know, don't make it problematic. Don't abuse your child in any way. But of like, yeah, of course, of you know, course. yelling at them or whatever. And so it's like a really creative way of being like, because we have the knowledge that he's the duplicate, that behavior becomes emblematic of some bigger issue. But his wife was kind of like, hey, whoa, what's happening? And then they're happily sleeping in bed that night. Yep. And it's just sort of over. And and that is, I think, a very sort of typical like family or even marital conflict. It's like, oh, man. Yeah. Hey, are you OK? Like you really snapped on our kid. Like, yeah, bad choice, man. And then it's just. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And then it passes. Yeah. As long as it doesn't happen again. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, of course. Right. Doesn't yeah. doesn't become a pattern. Yeah. Yeah. And I truly yeah. think it's because we have that perspective. It puts us on mm -hmm. edge. We know something the other characters don't. Yeah. yeah. And I was thinking like what it must be like if you are Cameron watching Jack. I think you would be yep. like, well, that's not how I would do it. Well, that's not how I would do it. Well, that's not. So, yeah, and the thing I is think like, that's, yeah, you yeah, could. I think, yeah. Oh, sure. Oh, of course. Right. You want, but that's like, and I think this is one of the things that I kept finding myself maybe, I don't know, struggling with or just sort of thinking about was this sort of like the idealized self, right? Uh-huh. Because as soon as you have that copy of yourself, and you you put a sort of similar question in the notes, which is like, what would it be like to see, uh, touch yourself, talk to yourself? You know, it, it is you. As a whole it other is, person, there's, there's, yeah. But outside of your body, yeah. right? As someone that you could talk to and interact with. And I have, I think, my own kind of fascination with that. Uh, I think I can honestly say I would want to have the experience of being able to talk to myself outside of my own head. But that's kind of as far as I'd want it to go. <laughs> I mean, because there's the whole cliche of like, well, it'd be great to have like two of me to, you know, one of me could do this, the other of me could do that. I could be twice as productive. And But I think it gets at this question of, do you trust yourself? Because Cameron sees this other him. And that's, I think, the hurdle is... Well, that's not me. Mm -hmm. Even if even if everything is in his head and all the experiences and he has all the memories, like it still doesn't feel like me because obviously I'm me. How could you also be me? But it's also this thing of like maybe I don't trust myself 
to do the right thing or to do something that I'm happy with or like I know that I have flaws or impulses I'm not happy about? What if he feeds into those? Like all these sorts of questions of how we evaluate ourselves, right? I I understand the question. And also, I think in Cameron's situation, he does not believe that Jack is him. So it's not a sense of mm, like, right. oh, I don't trust myself as Jack. It's that like, I I would do it better. I would. Right. And I so he's, he's seeing better. himself as the more, as the better version or as the. Because he is the version like, in his mind. Right. Like, yeah. he's like, you're the, you're the duplicate. You're the clone. Right. And that's obviously inferior in his head. Yeah. As you were talking, I was thinking, okay, we start the movie with Cameron. So we're on Cameron's side. Step one. What if this movie yes. was about Jack? He oh, wakes Jack up experience. Yeah. and he says, yeah. I am Cameron Turner. And for some reason, I suddenly imagined Jennifer Lawrence in this role. So like, apparently it's the type of movie she would do. But sure. if you wake up and everyone around you is like, you have this lifetime that you have lived as far as you know, you yep. have experience, you have a body, woke up here and you're a clone and you go like, no, I'm not. I've, I have a, a whole life that I've lived. I have a wife that I met on a train. I have a kid. Mm -hmm. I have another kid on the way. And they're like, you see this yep. person that looks exactly like you. They're the original. They're the person that's actually been living those things with those yeah. people. And you're yeah. like, no, <laughs> no, he's not. I'm, I'm Cameron right. Turner. Yeah. And actually the way that, that Dr. Scott connects with him is she turns the sound off and she calls him Cameron instead of Jack. Yes. And then he's like, oh, okay, right. Yes. You recognize that it's really that I'm actually Cameron. You know I'm Cameron. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. So it's wild. It is wild. And I think, you know, they don't, I obviously as the therapist kind of wanted more time with the yeah. psychologist Dalton. Um, I know. They're like, this is a psychologist. You're like, yay. And then yeah. they do nothing with him. <laughs> yeah. And we don't get anything. All we get is him kind of saying at this one point when Cameron was uh, almost practically debilitated. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Scott wanted Jack to go in, basically initiate the protocol, right? The replacement is on. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Dalton was basically the only person opposed to that plan, saying that Jack wasn't ready. And I wish we had gotten more from, from Dalton, like what for him as the uh, psychologist, I guess, in this situation, was he hoping to work through with Jack to get him to be ready? Like that's that process I'm fascinated by. Yeah. Like what does it mean to make a clone into the person? Like, yeah. I don't yeah. know, man. Totally. And one thing was he said, I'm not finished with my psychological assessment. Sure. And so basically he's like, I don't have the results yet. But like, yeah, I, you and I would just make up what those would look like because it's a situation, so there's no way. But right, right. Um, like the basics would be like, is he capable of completing basic functioning? Mm, and yep. does his do his personality test results exactly mimic those uh, that we took of Cameron? Um, you know, sure. something like that is what I would make up. But Yeah, because we see some of that testing of like uh, sort of quizzing Jack on his life. And in some ways, trying to convince Cameron that Jack is Cameron and can be Cameron and can live as Cameron, mm -hmm. because that feels like, you know, again, sort of one of the biggest barriers for Cameron, even having 
made this decision initially is to actually be able to go through with it. And, you know, the whole cliche of letting go. Being comfortable. Completing yeah. the process. Yeah. 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 And and you in our notes said uh, with this sort of fear, because I think we kind of have to, to wrestle a little bit with Cameron's grief, right? And and mm-hmm. maybe what goes into a decision like this in the first place. So we get a little bit of, of his background with Poppy, played by Naomi Harris. And she has been through her own trauma with the loss of her twin brother. So Cameron is intimately familiar with how his wife, Poppy, hasn't necessarily handled that sort of loss well before. I think they even actually acknowledge that she was dealing with major depression to mm-hmm. some extent. Mm-hmm. So he finds out he has this this terminal illness, and then he is presumably presented with this opportunity of, do I put my wife through this situation again, but not only again, but also as a single mom, or do I replace myself with myself and let her and and my son and my unborn child live with me for however long that would be quote unquote mm-hmm. naturally. Yeah. Right. Well, and on the basis that she answered Andre's question about this, about their mother, if I could have mom right here and not know the difference, I would. T- yeah. Right. So that, yeah, that's what he keeps jumping back to this idea that she has said that in the past, hypothetically. Well, right. And then, and then further along in the movie, when Cameron, has a an episode but then after right directly after the replacement jack just sort of says oh i slipped in the shower or whatever and i have this you know i you know had to go to the hospital and she says to jack as cameron but then cameron gets to witness this response that poppy has of like i could never lose you like i would be nothing without you which i'm sure for cameron was like confirmation of like oh no i i I do at least from his perspective, like have to go through with this. I have to do this. She needs this. Well, I'm thinking if I'm going to take someone who's close, but not too close to you, like your best friend, if your best friend for the last three years had been a clone of himself, your relationship with him has not changed at all. Correct. And you are completely oblivious to that fact. And it doesn't hurt you in any way. Because you don't know. And I'm kind of sitting here thinking like the only point that it would hurt me to find out that someone I care about is a clone is when I find out that they are. Yep. And if I'm never going to find out, it's never going to hurt me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But it's this huge... Because I, you know, I, and and I think you, you made an excellent point, which is that because we start the story with Cameron... We are going through this process on Cameron's side. Mm-hmm. So then we are with Cameron at the end, right? We're not joining Jack and Poppy. And then obviously Jack is then, as Dr. Scott says, uh, Jack is Cameron now. Yeah. We don't follow that story. We follow Cameron in his isolation. Yeah. And knowledge that he is going to die alone. And... You, you asked in the notes, how does anticipatory grief change when you have to do it all alone and know that the others never will? Never will. But I guess the, the never will is not never. It's just sort of differently. Well, they right? won't grieve you. Even this, They'll grieve this, the clone. Yes, exactly. But the, yeah. but the grief, they, you doing this is not shielding them from loss forever. No. And I think that was another thing that I sort of wrestled with from the sort of ethical moral quandary. It's like, yeah, maybe you're 
delaying this process for them to some extent, but it's no guarantee that your clone's not going to be in a fatal car accident tomorrow. Yeah. I realize that that's like very bleak, but. But in you know, the same way, there's no there's no way saying that he doesn't live to 100 or in the future 125. Of right? course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I think this question isn't about their grief. It's about his grief because they yes. don't have any yes. grief about this situation. They don't know to be grieving. Yes. Yeah, right. and they don't have any loss in this situation. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of grief is thinking about what you leave behind. And so mm. his fear is when I die, my wife and child will miss me and will be sad. So now he's taking that away. But then he's taking that away from himself as well. Like, I'm mm-hmm. going to leave this earth and not they're simply just not going to care because there's not going to be a reason to care. And yeah. That's hard on oneself. Now, again, it gets into the question, is this, at what point are you selfish? And at what point are you selfless? Mm -hmm. And in this moment, I'm like, this poor man has to grieve the loss of his family, grieve the loss of his life, and know that they won't lose it. The people he loves, his wife and children and friends and coworkers and everything will not grieve him. And that sucks. But then also, I know that for me, I'm not afraid of death. I'm afraid of what my death will people I love. Mm. And so then I'm kind of like, well, then does that take my fear of death away completely? Or is there something selfish about thinking about, oh, it'll matter to them that I'm gone? Yeah, sort of what the impact will be. Is this a philosophy podcast or a psychology podcast? <laughs> well, but that's that's why I think this is a fun this is a fun conversation for us to have is because it's so fun. We're not able to actually deal with this question where in Cameron's position, you actually have this choice. And obviously, I mean, I think it's important to point out that this is just not obviously not a choice that's available to the larger public. I don't know how people find out about this organization, but it's clearly like a very I feel like it's uh, an organization privileged that finds you. secret yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah, exactly. Because the way that it looks is that it only one person duplicates at a time. So like Aquafina spent time with Cameron and then at the end Cameron goes and meets with somebody else who you like assume is the next duplicate the next guy yeah 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 so so we can't know sort of how people would respond to this choice but we do see uh, and by the way we have to acknowledge like an incredible performance by Mahershala Ali um, both as Cameron and as Jack who becomes Cameron he has these really beautiful character distinctions that even though he is playing the same person, it's clear that because they are in the same person in different positions that yeah. he has to, in one hand, be angry at the other version of himself. And then at another point, like have empathy for the other version of himself. And I, I mean, it's just incredible to watch this sort of just, crazy scenario well it's super interesting because i don't feel like cameron has empathy for jack at any point but jack no i was guess i was referring more to to jack for jack yeah Yeah. jack seems to have empathy for cameron frequently and what i think the difference is is that cameron is dying Mm -hmm. and jack is not right so 
Cameron is in his fight or flight mode and he is angry and defensive and all of those things. And Jack doesn't, is more like Cameron is traditionally, which is kind and empathetic and thoughtful because he's not faced with death. He's not faced immediate fear. And so those fear responses aren't popping up for him in the same way. Which is why I think at the point of turning on the duplicate is the point where their biology starts to change and their mm, memory starts to yeah. change. And that's when they become separate people. But then sure. in in a way that it's like, well, if I were to make one choice today or another choice, that would change my biology. So who's to say that it, it's any different for them? The fact that they're two people. They're two human Yeah, forms. and I guess there is that certain point where they're no longer sharing memories, right? Yeah. As soon as well, As soon as Jack, he wakes up. Right. As soon as Jack wakes up or as soon as Jack kind of takes over, Jack no longer shares the, the memories, experiences that yeah. Cameron is having. Cameron only gets to see when Jack is wearing the magical camera contacts, right? Yeah. Which he increasingly... Just decides not to. Right. Yeah. The reason why I say from the moment that he wakes up, his, okay, even if they erase his his verbal memory of the the transition phase, they can't undo the DNA memory. They can't undo the like physical memory of the fact that he was sitting on the left side of the room and Cameron was sitting on the right side of the room. Like that. Right. Sure. Changes how he sat and changed where he looked and changed, which changes your biology, psychology, and sociology. And Mm -hmm. so that's why I keep saying like from the moment that he wakes up, yes, they may erase the verbal memory of it. And so it's as though that weekend didn't happen. His body won't, won't forget. Um, The body can't suddenly make him remember verbally, but like his body from that moment forward is different than Cameron. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess the, the sort of last, 15 to 20 minutes of the last scene where Cameron realizes that the switch has been made and that he didn't kind of get to have his, not that he would, not that he would say goodbye, but that he, you know, for himself would kind of have the transition owned last moment or owned transition, you know, and he kind of breaks out of the facility and gets to his house and, you know, sits at his old desk and, and I'm assuming sort of sees the work that, jack is doing Mm -hmm. and sees some of the like social media and conversations and things that that jack is experiencing jack is living and then jack obviously finds him in the house for me that was the really sort of interesting moment and frankly the whole movie because it's like okay cameron you're you're here uh, in your house with your clone, mm-hmm. are you going to make the decision to sort of have your last moments or are you going to throw this whole thing away? And I, I got to be honest, half of me have expected to hear him tell his wife, you know, by the way, this has been a clone the last two weeks and I'm actually dying. Just, you know, just needed to tell you before I left. Uh-huh. <laughs> but he didn't. And I guess that is, if anything, is him being generous. It's him gosh, I guess not burdening her with that knowledge and just letting her continue to live with him. I thought that it would come down to, never mind, I'm going to stay, right? I'm going to die and their experience is that I'm going to be dead. Or as it did go, right? So I was like, it's either going to go the way that it ultimately went or he was going to call it off completely. There was never going to be external knowledge of of the clone. 
of the duplicate. The moment I knew he was going to let it happen was when he read the text, Jack and Poppy, and they were oh, interesting. Hmm. And there was nothing yep, to them. Just normal it was, life. Hey, at yeah. the store, what do you need? And that yep. was the moment where I was like, oh, he's going to let him go on because he kind of has this idea in his mind that like, this is how it's going to go wrong. And this is where it's going to be a problem. And instead, in that moment, he gets to see like, oh, my wife gets to live on. Is okay. Having- yeah, yeah. She's fine. Yeah. She's happy. Yeah. Which yeah. again is what he wants. But that it kind of sucks to know that like somebody that you care about is okay without you. Oh, it totally sucks. Right? Well, yeah. And I think, the, and the, the hardest scene for me to watch was him with his son. Yeah, like, you know, cause you, you, you're wondering like, I mean, he's not, he's not going to say goodbye to his son. So what's yeah. he going to do? Like what, what would you do within your last moments with your child, knowing that they don't know it's the last moments with you. And it's, it's, it's for them. It's not the last moments with you. Yeah. It's just a weird night that you woke them up and had wasabi and not wasabi. Um, edamame. You had uh, apple juice and edamame. Yes. What a good memory though. Well, I know. And that's, that's why it was really beautiful. So that was the moment when I kind of, uh, I think recognized as you did that, okay, this is him. This is what acceptance looks like is, yeah me giving myself this sort of ritual to to have with my son and to sort of say goodbye in in my own way. And to yeah. relate it back to therapy, what I really liked about that moment in particular, right, the the quote-unquote beer, the apple juice and the edamame, mm-hmm. was yep. it's like terminating with a therapist, even if you're moving on to another therapist mm. and having a healthy goodbye and having a good goodbye. Now, in this situation, his son couldn't do it because his son was not saying goodbye in that moment. However, he didn't know he was saying goodbye. Yeah. 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 However, I think it was really important. Well, the son wasn't saying goodbye. Cameron was saying goodbye. Correct. And I think that it was really important for Cameron to be able to have a termination, right? To be able to say, yeah. like, I'm moving on from this and you are not. And that is that is the conversation in therapy termination, right? The therapist says, you are continuing on in your life and I am not, and vice versa. The patient Mm. says to the therapist, like you are continuing on with your work as a therapist. I am not continuing that. And how powerful, like so often we get bad Mm -hmm. breakups or people leave or parents abandon children or things like that where you don't get healthy goodbye and so i think that that was a really nice illustration even though it was a one-sided goodbye a really nice illustration of how an ending between two humans can be okay and can be Mm -hmm. great even when it doesn't feel good like he doesn't want to say oh yeah well that's always why i emphasize to my patients is i think there's this idea with with acceptance when it comes to grief and loss that like acceptance is me quote unquote being okay with it and I think acceptance is is not this sort of like cliche of of moving on. It's it's acknowledging that that the pain exists and will likely continue to exist in many ways, but that I'm I'm not sort of like getting in the way of it. It's you know I'm and and you see him like even his son asks him like Dad are you okay and he says I am like I'm okay and he's you know, can't and not restraining himself from having tears flowing down his face and, 
you know, and that's what acceptance looks like is acting with the full range of the emotions of the experience. Yeah. It's not having to be happy about it or having to be okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, I'm sad and I'm comfortable. I'm sad. I'm sad. Yes. And this is, this is reality and that's sort of acceptance of it as having happened. And, and that's what Cameron is doing it, by having this sort of last ritual. It's, he's sort of marking the experience for himself, which I think is really powerful and allows him to, you know, return to the facility and kind of have that last moment with his, his wife as well. And I think that was another moment of empathy from, from Jack of clearly intentionally wearing these contacts and, and having Poppy tell him he loves him uh, so specifically and intently. I mean, I was again, incredibly powerful for, for Cameron to experience that, from Cameron, from his perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And this, unfortunately, is something that I thought of how virtual relationships and in differ. So there were these moments where he got these connections with his wife through Jack's eyes that were loving and meaningful and from his perspective and things like that. However, I was sitting there being like, he can't touch her. He can't feel the body heat coming off her as she looks him in the eyes. And so how is that experience different than if he were actually Mm. there in person? And I was like, that's a super interesting thing that we are engaged with. I think particularly the last two years is a lot of people's online relationships have Mm -hmm. been created, blossomed, experienced, along with all the feelings that come with relationship And also, like, studies show that if you don't get physical touch from other humans, your biology changes. Yeah. And it also reminds me, I don't know if you were a big Black Mirror person. They haven't had episodes in a little while now. But there were some episodes where played around with the idea of, like, what if you could transfer your consciousness into someone else's body, Mm -hmm. right? And that's sort of what, what this is dealing with a little bit, which is, like, how real can your experience of someone else's life be even if it's someone else living your life yeah that yeah. How, how how's that for a philosophical conundrum yeah yeah but you know we're we're sort of trying to deal with the the very real human impact and i'm kind of glad we didn't see cameron cameron's ultimate passing in the sense that whenever that was going to happen it was it felt pretty clear that dr scott much like they did with with kate played by aquafina like is still going to have a purpose, is still going to have, I hate to say things to live for, but whatever much time he has left, um, it's not just lying in a bed waiting for, you know, his last seizure to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think, you know, and and you and I probably have had experiences with this, working with people with, with terminal illness, those things are very important. Yeah. I think yeah. what's interesting from our perspective and the show's perspective is the period from where the movie ends until his death is actually the most psychologically fascinating Mm -hmm. because he did all of these things and made all of these choices as a response to his death, but he's not dead yet. So he has to live with choices he's made that are about what needs to happen after he dies. And it's Mm. like, I think the, the grief and loss because it will be both right. There's, there's the grief of his own upcoming death and grief and the loss of his family. Because in that moment he's thinking 
I want to be spending this time with my family and they're out there and of course. they're not grieving me. And that's like, just so I like, I can't. And then also the fear of how's it going? Cause he doesn't get that information. And then speaking about like Aquafina, that get well soon card. I know. I it was so funny. I was like, perfect. Well done. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to have to be in a facility living out the remainder of your days, I mean, that's the kind of person you want to be oh. with is just a person who kind of gets it yeah. and is able to be light with it with you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, oh man. You know, lots more conversation to be had around this sort of really complex issue for sure. Yeah. Yeah. If you have the means to join our Patreon, we will have, you know, just fun little extras over there. But if you don't, we are going to keep posting these for you for free. So don't worry. Yeah. So Ryan, on a scale yes. from one to five identifying hand moles, <laughs> how accurate do you feel Swan Song portrayed the mental health? Well, um, as we talked about, obviously, a lot of this is hypothetical, but for me, especially as reflected through Mahershala Ali's portrayal, I thought it really nailed the complex nature of, of grief. And, you know, unfortunately, in this particular circumstance, like the decision about how much to include people in your dying experience, mm -hmm. I mean, because I think a lot of people are sort of stuck with this idea of like, I don't want to burden people with mm -hmm. what I'm going through. And this is like the the pinnacle of yeah. that, right? Uh -huh. So I think as, as far as that goes, it was really well portrayed, really emotionally devastating at moments. And I think that's, that's a credit to the writing and the acting. And, and certainly for me, that would mean it's a five out of five. I, I don't have any notes, to be honest, like, Obviously, it's a hypothetical, so it's hard to say for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think you and I would have liked to see more of that sort of like um, psychological evaluation stuff of a clone. Like that's just a fascinating hypothetical to be in uh -huh. as a therapist. But other than that, I mean, I, I really, uh, I love it. It was it was really well done. Yeah, I think that for me, it's either a four or a four and a half because I don't think it's emotionally complicated enough. Mm, what, what did you feel like was missing? I feel like they were like, he would have this feeling and then he would have this feeling and then he would have this feeling. Mm. And it was. Okay. So too linear. Yeah, it was in like, that way. well, yeah. I'm not, I don't know the linearness, but like the, it was just portrayed as like, he would be confused and he would be frustrated rather than like, I don't know. I like, I never felt like he was conflicted or confused or frustrated or angry or any of those things enough it felt like a description of what he would be feeling rather than like witnessing him going through it again it's mm. a two-hour movie that's the problem oh yeah they have to shove it into a short amount of time so he can't sit there in his complication and his grief but yeah i think that's the only thing for me where i was like feels just a little bit not complicated <laughs> Okay, and that, and totally fair, and I think you and I probably know that as well as anyone, yeah. right? As sort of that, like there are so many layers to this uh, type of experience mm -hmm. that it's hard to comprehensively portray in ninety minutes, yeah, or two hours, yeah. Okay, well, Haley, on on the topic of uh, entertainment value, then let's say on a scale of one to five, autonomous train snack robots. <laughs> 
How cute. What would you give Swan Song? Oh, firstly, imagine the moment of finding out that you were eating somebody else's chocolate and you thought it was yours. Oh, man. What a great meet cute scene that was. Such a good meet cute scene. Also, how horrifying. Like, I was just like, I could not imagine if I'm like, what the heck? This person is eating my chocolate. What is happening? And then later being like, oh, my God, I was eating theirs. Holy moly. What? Yeah. Anyway, um, on a scale from one to five autonomous snack robots on the train, five, five out of five. I loved this movie. I thought it was incredible. I didn't leave there being swept away by it, but I left being like, sure. yep, that was a perfectly great movie. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that it hit all the points and Mahershala Ali is a fantastic actor. All of the questions were brought up and explored and pseudo answered. And there was resolution without their fully being resolution so like happy ending but also not happy ending and yeah it was great i don't have any complaints about it in the slightest yeah this this movie will initiate a lot of conversations that we're not used to having so that that is has value on its own right much like we did on today's episode so Mm -hmm. so thank you all for coming along for the ride with this a little bit more philosophical episode but you know it's it's good to feel like we're the group from nasa that gets to think about this stuff before anyone else has to deal with it yeah the aliens that's right All right. So, so once again, thanks you. Thanks to the thanks you. Thanks, thanks you. to everyone. Thank you all. As soon as Ryan knows the endings are coming, he immediately gets nervous. <laughs> I get so weird. I just, I feel like I need a, a specific outro. I just need you to know, stop I used to do these the very long winded things. That's so funny. That, that could happen. Just sort of just fade to black. It's true. That's fair. I, well, we, we are, we are human and we don't know how to end things because we just want to keep talking to you. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, good question. So please check us out on social media. We are everywhere and and are increasingly trying to post different things. So and and feel free to request other things you would like to see us philosophize and pontificate about. Yeah. At PopPsych101 and Patreon.com slash PopPsych101. And thank you guys so much for listening. Bye. Bye.